0: Welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because today we're joined by a newcomer to the show. Whether it's writing reviews for ComicWatch.com or hopping onto the mic for the Caption Life podcast, our guest is well-versed in speaking TV and film. We're so delighted to welcome
1: Sean to the pod. Welcome, Sean. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really excited
2: to be here. Yeah. Hey, it's you know what we've you've it has been one of those kind of weeks. One of those kind of weeks. No, I, I, I just say, leave you
1: speechless. That's what
3: it is. I know. Is. There it is. No, I just
1: you have
0: that effect on people. It seems like you're well practiced.
2: <laughs> well, I say it's 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 exciting because you know we've been interacting and and talking with you on Twitter and i guess instagram as well and mm-hmm. and uh this back and forth interaction went all through hawkeye and yes. i think at least maybe a little bit before and so it's fun to finally you know to, to get this in person well virtual in person i guess right <laughs> Put yeah. <it> that way <laughs> um uh the way to, to talk about these things it's, i'm super excited
1: yeah same here and, and i really enjoy interacting with you all and i think The fun thing about what we do as podcasters is that we get to interact with a community that goes beyond just our direct circle of friends who geek out over these things. And I'll be honest, like I don't have a whole lot of friends that I know personally that geek out over the same stuff I do. And so podcasting really gave me the opportunity to connect with Kevin on that front and then with you all and with so many other people to be able to just have people to talk about with these things when you get excited about it because it's, you know, there's nothing more sad I feel like when you want to talk to somebody you just don't have anybody like you know right there with you that that you could just talk to immediately about this stuff so I really love the fact that podcasting has been able to do that for us so
0: oh yeah I'm so glad the way you described that, too, is like the, the circle of friends. Because I think the first time that we got on each other's radar was, was, like Jude said, during the Hawkeye run. And that's when we got in touch with Ellie from Oh Shoot. And she's the mm-hmm. one who kind of like further cemented like, oh, you, Sean's great. And, and that put into motion getting Aww. to work with, with you. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and
1: Ellie, Ellie's great to have. I interact oh, with yeah. her all the time. And, and I absolutely you know, love her podcast. She's just a joy to talk to, you. and and we've had her on our show to talk about Eternals. And so, yeah, it's it's um, I I appreciate that. That's nice to hear. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know, speaking of your show, we did want to take some time here at the top to spotlight your work. You know, one of the things that always fascinates me is the story behind the name of the project that people pick. So Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could walk our audience through what the story is for The Caption Life, as well as what it is that you and your co-host Kevin do
1: on that show. Yeah. So, you know, the funny story is that Kevin and at the time James, we actually used to have a team of three people. It was Kevin, James, and I were just following each other on Twitter, but we never actually knew of each other um, until we started following each other on Twitter. And one day, we just you know were interacting and, and replying to each other and we we're on Twitter and we we're just like you know, we should just start a podcast about the things we enjoy with comics and everything. I think what really got that conversation started was there was a conversation about diversity in comics. And we were just talking about how, you know, we were three white males and we (laughs) want to see more diversity in comics and we support that. And we're just like, you know, gosh, it'd be such a great idea to start a podcast around that. And the three of us are like, yeah, let's just do that. So we, we got together And our first year when we did that, kind of did it like leisurely. So we didn't really have a plan in terms of having a regular set schedule of like what we were going to talk about or how often we were going to release episodes. We were going to just try to put episodes out there whenever we could and then just talk about whatever, you know, we wanted to talk about. And so when we first had our meeting to kind of figure out what we're going to do with the podcast, at first we were thinking about having something that's more related to comics and education. But then the more we discussed it, the more we're just like, we didn't want to really Pigeonhole ourselves into such a specific niche because we also wanted to open it up for like other conversations we might have or might want to have, you know. And so, sure enough, later on, you know, this is our third year, we've actually opened it up a lot more to um, not just comics but things in pop culture. So, Kevin and I have um, a really deep-seated love for Disney, and so there's been a couple episodes where we talk about just all things Disney-related. We've had people on the show that, whether they're comics creators or artists, or they're somehow connected to it, or maybe even be adjacent to it. So for example, we had somebody on the show named Jonathan Bell, that's a cosplayer that um, his message, you know, or what he does as a cosplayer is that he likes to spread positivity around the world. And so he really became famous as being known as Seattle Superman mm-hmm. and came on our show. It was just really fascinating to talk about what he had to say and and, and what he's hoping to do with that and how, you know, the character Superman inspired him, not just, to do that as a cosplay, but just also as a person. And we've also had other people who, again, have not been, directly in the comics industry, but affected by it. So we've had like a college professors come on to talk about how comics actually had shaped and impacted societies throughout the ages and things like that. And so so really, we've kind of developed this podcast to be something that gives us an opportunity to talk about things that we're interested in to have conversations with other people about those same topics, but also create a platform where when people are doing like really great work that have like a really good message, we want to be like a megaphone for those people to be able to share that message and to get that word out there and to support them in that. So when we were first trying to come up with a name, like I said, we were thinking about something in comics and education. I think Um, Kevin had a really good name for it. But then when we decided that we wanted to do something that's a little bit more broader, that has something to do with comics, but maybe just something that's, you know, it doesn't have to be Completely around comics, but it's, you know, somehow connected to it and kind of be broad enough. That's where we kind of settled on the caption life because, you know, we know that, you know, captions are something that's in comics with the speech bubbles Mm -hmm. and things like that. And that way always kind of brings it back to something that's comics related as much as possible, but it's not honing in on a specific niche that keeps us locked in. If we ever wanted to discuss something that, you know, may not be comics, you know, directly, but it's somehow connected to it. Like, you know, having people who um, have been interested in like superheroes or something that um, is like Disney or universal or, or anything that is kind of in or of that world in a sense. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Thank you.
2: Looking through in some of the episodes, just for me, one of the standout episodes I truly enjoyed was uh, number, f- I'm going to say the number, like like who knows, maybe you have them all memorized what numbers they are. Uh, oh, the 45. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you had uh, the 45, you had uh, Matthew Smith on. Um, yes. Yeah. And, that,
1: he, he was the college professor I was talking about. Yes.
2: Yeah. Th- and is that was so much fun to listen to. I got so much out of that. Uh, I think I haven't got the book yet he was talking about, but I definitely want to mm. pick that up.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. that's And that's exactly what we've been trying to do is just get people on to kind of, you know, be educational about that stuff, but also whatever message they have just, you know, that's really interesting. Um, But I mean, that's exactly what we're going for is, you know, having a podcast where we can bring in like different guests and, and talk about different topics or different things that they might be experts on or things like that. But I... I appreciate you saying that you know you really enjoyed that episode because we really enjoyed that one as well too, and we felt like we learned a lot from mm-hmm. that as well too, so oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and one of the things i didn 't mention this before, but one of the things that we've started to do with our podcast being in our third year now is that every time we have a guest on, uh, we did this with i think we started with either David Papos or Ibrahim Mustafa, but we started to do a game whenever a guest comes on we try to do like a fun little game that's centered around what they're talking about
3: mm-hmm. and so
1: every time we have a guest on we try to do a game with our guests and kevin does a fantastic job of coming up with some really fun and creative <laughs> games yeah and what's funny is every game that we play with our guests somehow i keep winning <laughs> and at some point i think our audience is going to be like this is completely rigged and i and i I assure you it is not rigged. I just keep getting lucky with this. But I, I we keep hearing from our guests that they really enjoy doing the games with us and that that's one of the reasons why we keep doing that. We think that our listeners really enjoy, you know, playing along with those games as well too. So
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I haven't had yeah. the opportunity of listening to an episode with a guest yet, but I can't wait to, to see what that's like. Mm. And I also can't help but, you know, you call it funny that you keep winning. I wonder what it would be like <laughs> from Kevin's perspective of what he would call it. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll text him and ask him about
0: that now. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Mm. Well, you know, another thing that we mentioned at the the intro is that you write reviews for comicwatch.com. Mm-hmm. You recently just put one out for the new show, Naomi. Um, I was wondering if you could let us know what that is like in sitting down to review in written form and whether or not prepping for a podcast or a written review feeds into each other or if it's different processes.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when I first started writing for Comic Watch, I think back in September, so I'm still relatively new to this, or maybe it was August. It was just an opportunity that came across that I was just like, I wanted to do something a little bit more creative that's kind of outside of podcasting. So I'm, I'm a very creative person. I like to come up with really creative uh, things, especially in multimedia. So, you know, in addition to be a podcaster, also, you know, video editors, so I can, um, you know, take videos and, you know, throw them in Premiere Pro and, and do some editing and stuff like that. And and I'm usually the one that um, creates a lot of our uh, social media videos. I haven't done a couple of them in a, in a while or anything like that, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the one that usually puts them together and, and uh, posts on our social media accounts. And, one of the things that I was interested in is, is I still wanted to do something along these lines, but I thought writing would be just a really good skill to have because I know that no matter what kind of job or career or interest you go into, writing is always going to be a par- big part of that, and writing, I feel like, is something that... Um, I'm I'm good at, but I want to kind of improve myself on that skill in case I ever you know go down some sort of career where that might be something that would come in handy. And so I saw that Comic Watch was looking for people to review TV and and uh, films, and so I applied and they took me on. And I've really been learning a lot in terms of how all that works. Uh, with that mm-hmm. being said, I'm still learning how to write <laughs> a good review, just because um, I. I kind of tend to write like what really interests me. Um, but I'm trying to also um, figure out like w- what people are really looking for. Like are people wanting to know like is the story good or do they want to know like the technical aspects of the right. show or the film? Right. Like, you know, the the production value, the acting, the writing and things like that. Um, and so part of it is trying to figure out like what really are people looking for, what helps them. Um, and and what really drives that engagement with that. Um, and another difficult thing is that we're kind of given a task of writing a review within like 500 to 1,000 words. And mm-hmm. I got to say, like there's been times where I wrote a review and then I, I did the word count. I was like, oh, my gosh, how did I write over like 2,000 words? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> Like I, I was like, this This is like not nearly enough. I was like, I hope I made 500. Then I saw that number. I was just like, what? So like, it was really hard. So it was really hard to like go back and like cut things out. But I mean, you have to in order to kind of fit in that parameters. And so mm-hmm. um, I would say it, it does feed into that because I was reviewing the Hawkeye uh, episodes every week it was coming out. So I was doing that for Comic Watch. And as you all know, I was also creating a one-shot episode for our podcast. i um, doing my own mm-hmm. review for that. And so there was a lot of overlay where, as I'm highlighting points for uh, the review article for Comic Watch, I was also carrying that over to the podcast episode. Um, But again, you kind of have to write it differently because the written word is very different than the spoken word. And so you kind of get the outline in the thought process a little bit. um, And you do have to adjust it um, to... Fit the medium as well, too, because, again, writing a review for Comic Watch is very different than a podcast when you have your own structure and all that and and your own format. And so the outline is something that kind of does carry over and you can carry over some of the things that you've written, all that. Um, but you do have to do a l- little bit of adjustment. but with that being said, it's just a lot of great practice to kind of hone in on that skill and it, I think it improves us as uh, podcasters as well too because you know we have to write show notes and you know it's it, you know podcasting is not just about you know putting something out there you have to be on a lot of social media channels and you have to know how to write good show notes and you know if you're really into seo you have to know how to do that as well too and so um i think writing uh, reviews for comic watches really help with that as well so
2: yeah oh yeah i can definitely see the connection between those mm-hmm. trey is the creative genius <laughs> here like <laughs> he just is like that's just what he he does trey's so good at it well, thank you.
1: Trey, if you're the one that do the videos, I got to say, I really enjoy your guys' videos. I think it's really high quality and it's really well done. It's professional looking. So, Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I'm really impressed and I think it's great. So definitely great work um, doing that stuff. So I really enjoy it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Those those have definitely been fun to to pump out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. I really like them.
2: Oh. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying thank you, but again, Trey's the bird's <laughs> <out>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Drew comes in and takes all the credit, like, you're welcome, you know?
0: <laughs> well, li- listen, I offset it by not sending him the Google outline for the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of passive-aggressive
0: there, right? <laughs> Oh man. Well, seriously, all of that is fantastic. And and I really appreciate you taking the time to to let our audience know because it's clear to see that uh passion is the engine that drives your creative work. And mm-hmm. I think that really shines through, man. So yeah. Well, thank
1: you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So
0: if, if you're interested, make sure that you're following Sean at the Sean Hulk on Twitter, as well as at Caption Life on both Twitter and Instagram. And I said it earlier, but I want to make sure that people know it is comic hyphen and all of these will be in the show notes. With that being said, though, if you downloaded this episode, then you know we're going to be talking about our Hawkeye Season 1 wrap-up. So this is going to be a chance for us to talk about the series as a whole, uh, talk about the things we liked, the things we didn't like, as well as storylines that we feel have lingering threads. So to do this, we are going to be talking spoilers, which calls for the spoiler zone. So... You're going to hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So, Sean, I I mentioned this to you earlier when we were swapping DMs, but... It, I think this is the first time that we've had somebody on for the wrap-up episode, and it just so happens that this is their favorite show of the Disney <laughs> Plus show so far. <laughs> so as I'm about to ask what you liked about Hawkeye overall, I am genuinely excited to to hear you follow your bliss in in stating what it is that you liked about this show overall.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, just like what you said, this is my favorite Marvel show that they produced so far. And and I got to say, like, it's really tough because all the shows, even the ones that I wasn't a big fan of, mm-hmm. um, all of them were really great. And I think we're, you know, top tier in terms of production. So even the ones yeah. that I was just like, you know, this is not my kind of show. I can't really look at it and say that it was a bad show necessarily, you know? And so they're, so they're all really high quality shows. But I, for me personally, Hawkeye has been my favorite one that they've created so far um, for a lot of reasons. I'm probably going to get into it. So uh, stop me at any point. If we're like, you know, three hours in and we're like, okay, we haven't got to our next point yet. So sorry. Um, But you know, there's a lot of reasons why I enjoy the show. And as a comics fan, one of the, main reasons why i really enjoyed the show and this has been one of my favorite is that it's primarily inspired by the uh fraction aha hollingsworth run called hawkeye the saga barton and bishop right Mm -hmm. and uh this one was really fascinating because i i didn't read this until about maybe two or three years ago when i was reading through this on marvel unlimited and i can't remember why i decided to read um this first issue. And so I I remember reading it um, and it was like the first issue that they had that run. And I was never been somebody that's been too interested about Hawkeye. Um, Oh, now I remember actually. But, But I read somewhere that historically... Um, Hawkeye has been uh, deaf or went deaf and hard of hearing. Yeah. And as you both probably know, um, I'm actually someone that was born with uh, hearing loss. So I was born with like um, 25% loss in both ears. And so when I heard about that, I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool to kind of, you know, see how they did that in the comics. And so I read this issue and I, it was one of the few runs. I just could not stop reading that. I couldn't, you know, put it down. So I, I was reading this on Marvel Unlimited, so I couldn't really actually put it down because it was my tablet, so I couldn't like (laughs) swap out the next issue. I had to hit like read next issue, right? And so, so I wasn't physically actually putting anything away and swapping it out, but like every time I got done with it, like I just kept going to next issue, next issue because it was just a really well-written story. The art was fantastic, in my opinion. I think Aha did just a a great job with it, Um, but it was just a great story overall. And then when I saw the trailer for the Hawkeye series. It was just like watching your comic book come to life because it was a lot of inspiration from that run, and so, mm-hmm. um, so that's one of the reasons why it's been my favorite. Um, the other reasons, uh, as I mentioned before, is that I am somebody that has hearing loss. This show has great representation for those of the hard of hearing and the deaf community, as well as people with disabilities, because we saw that Echo um, has is an amputee. I think her right leg is is amputated. Yeah, um, it was the right leg. Yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting enough is that um, the character Echo in the comics is an amputee. She is deaf and she is a Native American, just like the. Actress, but the actress is an amputee, and mm-hmm. I thought what was great about the showrunners is that instead of hiding that fact, they actually just wrote it in as part of her character. And I think that was a great way to be able to have those conversations and show representation uh, for another community and be able to give them screen time and to have a conversation as a community as a whole to talk about like what that means and and mm-hmm. the fact that that wasn't something that held her back, and she's not just you know identified by you know, what she's not able to do, but you know, the fact that she's still able to, you know, kick Hawkeye's butt, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just (laughs) something that I think is great to see on the screen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I mentioned, Echo's Native American. So I I can't remember if we had a lot of representation in the MCU with Native Americans, but um, yeah. And and so I think this is probably one of the first ones that we have. Um, And so we have great representation there. Um, I could keep going but if you want me to stop yeah. and,
2: and pause well, no I was just gonna jump in for I was just gonna jump in for a second and just say like w- one of my favorite scenes was when uh, Kate Bishop broke into echo's house or apartment mm-hmm. and the alarm went off and like they didn't know but yes. me as an audience member I didn't know and we talked about this on our on our episode review of this one but like mm-hmm. I didn't know either, and just and just kind of when it when it came out or, or when when they realized and it's like it just showed kind of my own worldview and how they were able to play into that, you know, and just right. like no one's no one's the majority of the people aren't going to realize that's the alarm, right? You know, because that's just not what they're used to. That's not what they're seeing, mm-hmm. um, you know. And 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 I love that that. They were able to play into that there i love the way that they used the the mix of not just sign language but the the subtitles but like with the lip reading and when she looked away it faded out like you didn't right. know like you really got a sense of of or a glimpse maybe of that experience and mm-hmm. and that was just really phenomenal for me
1: oh yeah yeah and what i love about Um, all of that is that it even shows they did a great job of showing like just the diverse experiences with the deaf and hard of hearing community because Clint was not born deaf. And so, you know, mm-hmm. he had a hearing aid because if he didn't have it, he, he was deaf. Um, but I think what was interesting is that you saw he you know, knew American Sign Language, but not enough to have like a full conversation with Echo without, you know, help or anything like that. And I think that's, you know, pretty accurate for someone who uh, was born with hearing and then became deaf later on. Um, but you're right. They did a great job of visually representing what that. Audio experience sounds like. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I got to give a special shout out to the audio engineering team who did this because they did a phenomenal job of showing, uh, showing, of (laughs) of (laughs) audibly um, giving that experience to the audience members what. Uh, it's like to have a hearing aid, and what's like to be deaf. Because I think a lot of people assume that if you're deaf, that means that you can't hear anything, and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. You can still get like vibration sounds. And so when you he- when you see it from Maya's perspective, that's why the audio never really cuts out completely. You still feel mm-hmm. or hear a little bit of a rumble or, or um, you know murmur and yeah. things like that. And and that is a, a pretty accurate, uh, experience from what I understand. Um, and then for someone who has a hearing aid, like I grew up with hearing aids. And so whenever mm. Clint took the hearing aid out, I was just like taking me back to second grade because that's exactly what it sounded like when I was taking my hearing aid out, yeah. you know? So yeah. they did a phenomenal job of, of representing that.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah
0: I, I definitely agree with you. You know, you keep coming back to this representation and, and I can't agree more. Like the fact that it wasn't just like, hey, let's get representatives from the different communities and put them on screen. They walked mm-hmm. us through those experiences, like Jude was saying, with the apartment and the and the alarms that went off with the flashing and leveraging our own experiences to enhance the story that way. So not mm-hmm. only was it an educational for, for someone like me, I'll speak for me, like of not having that worldview, it, it added to the narrative by putting us in the shoes of people like Maya or people like Clint. And one of the scenes I think that stands out for me is that that scene in KB Toys where Maya is is speak or communicating with Clint. And she is under the impression that he can sign. And once she realizes he can't, that's when Kazi steps in to interpret right. for her. But mm-hmm. that bridge of understanding it created in that moment of, her wanting to communicate that way, I think it helped deepen who she is because up until that point it was, Oh, here's just your antagonist. Oh, here's an Mm -hmm. interesting insight into her world and the way that she views things. And it's just, they, like I said, just to circle back, it wasn't that they were just representing people on screen. They were really putting on a demonstration of, what that life is like and i i really enjoyed that as well Mm -hmm. well i'd
2: say on top of that just that also the view that she had of you see this as i don't i don't know problem to be fixed is the right way to put it but because because you've had the hearing right Mm -hmm. you just assume i gotta have this hearing and you're missing out right uh, on what you can gain from it that she had to learn from a very young age you know so it it, and and prompting that Conversation, I think, was another was a really good ad.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, yeah. Well, and, and I think um, you know what's interesting is when Eternals came out, they talk about uh, Makari, who's the actress that plays her, is, is deaf, and how mm-hmm. there was a rise in uh, interest in learning American Sign Language because of that. And I wonder how many people have also, you know, watching this show would like to learn American Sign Language, uh, because of this show. And I wouldn't be surprised if it went up um, because of that as well too. But what I really appreciate is that when I was listening to Kazi doing the signing, I, I wonder if the um, actor who played him um, has had experience or just got training on how to do it. But he did a really good mm-hmm. job of speaking like a um, interpreter and. What's interesting is that I don't think a lot of people realize that with American Sign Language, it's not just knowing how to um, sign with your hands, but part of the communication is all body language communication. So it's not just being able to sign things, but to also physically uh, express like some of those emotions and kind of like really lean into that as well too. And I think they did a really mm-hmm. good job of kind of demonstrating that. Um, mm-hmm. And I and again, I think. It, I I remember talking about this when I thought it was odd at first that they had Clint learn uh, American Sign Language because usually people who um, go deaf don't really learn American Sign Language unless it's like really detrimental. And it seemed like Clint was okay with having a hearing aid um, and being able to hear things fine. Um, but I was I was speculating. I was like, I wonder if that's how they're going to tie it in with Echo because she's deaf. And sure enough, like that's how they make that tie and make that connection, but also kind of show the varied experiences of people who are hard of hearing and part of the deaf community is that it's not all you know the same. So it's like even when you have that representation, being able to show that diversity within that representation, I think is a really great one here. So.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily just a binary thing, but a spectrum of different experiences. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yep, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, you mentioned the it's not just the signing with American Sign Language, but that body language communication as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, circling back to Alika Cox as Maya, you know, that was something that was prominent every time that she had very emotional scenes because mm. the death experience is part of her life it's an authentic part of who she is that level of of communication in those scenes i think hit that much harder like the way that right. she was able to mm-hmm. to show that that look on her face like it just it underscored those scenes for me
1: right oh yeah definitely definitely mm-hmm. I agree
2: another thing that I really liked about this was they the way they worked, the action sequences um particularly I'm thinking of like episode three uh and that mm-hmm. one sequence, but I thought all of them were really well choreographed uh just really well it, it just well, I will say that the the finale on the ice I thought was your kind of your typical action. But other than that, the the moving in the car, the bridge, mm-hmm. um, the action of Yelena and Kate through the offices and kind of that mm-hmm. tracking camera, all of those things were something that just the overall show, I just really, really enjoyed how they were able to present it. Because it had that... Uh, it makes me think of Winter Soldier, just that what the Russo brothers did there with that that handheld kind of close up to the action to really make you feel mm-hmm. it as opposed to this big wide shot
1: right yeah yeah i mean the, the action scenes were very um very cinematic and and what you see in the mcu and, and just like you said it, it's a really wide uh variety of the kinds of action sequences that you got from those and and I agree with you I think you know episode 3 was fantastic mm-hmm. with the whole scene when they're fighting in the tracksuit mafia's uh you know headquarters and then you know going into the car chase and like it just had a little bit of everything for that action I absolutely loved that scene where um, Clint Barton does that flip over the stairwell, and then he's on his mm-hmm. side, but yeah. shoots the arrow that hits Kazi uh, and and um, uh, cuts the restraints on Kate. Because I yeah. remember when I first saw that scene not not from the episode, but when we saw a trailer and you saw him like sideways. I remember thinking like, that is really weird. Like, why do they have him? sideways cuz everything up to that point was just a standard like 16:9 ratio of like what you see yeah. on the movie but then it's just I'm like is that like an editing mistake and then when you saw that you're like oh my gosh that makes so <laughs> yeah. much sense and yeah. that is awesome
3: Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh yeah yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, and i will say that the action sequence on the rooftop like what you were talking about i think was really fantastic because it integrated a lot of different things cuz they you know there's essentially two locations that they were shooting from and they did a good job of like cutting back and forth between the two different fights that were going on. Um, the one mm-hmm. complaint I did have about the action scene was that there was one point where um, Maya Lopez was kind of like on her side and she, kits, uh, she kicks Kate. And then somehow yeah. Kate goes flying over that like opening in the rooftop yes. where you think yes. she's going to like fall in there, but she um, ends up like hitting the other side and, and falls safely. But that was like... A, a almost like a seven foot uh, distance from where she was kicked to where she landed, mm-hmm. and I was like that that just seems odd because Maya Lopez does not have, you know, super strength or anything like that. And right. from the way she kicked, it's like, that wouldn't make sense. Like, you know, physically or from the you know law of physics or anything like that. Right. Um, and so that, that's the one thing I thought was a little bit odd, but other than that, like all that, the whole entire scene, that entire fight scene was really good too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that stood out to me too. Cause I, the, the odd part of that was like the way she landed on her back. Right. For And I get, you want to have that danger. She might fall, but I'm like, oh, uh, you're pushing that a little for, for people that don't have uh, super strength serum, you know. Right. It's like, uh, okay. So, yeah. yeah.
1: But, but we'll say this. I, I was on another podcast with Paperweight Entertainment. We were talking about that. Someone actually suggested like maybe uh, Maya had a um, like a hydraulic spring activated um, um, uh, prosthetic that maybe, you know, it, ah. it kind of gives her like a little power, like a little boost to their kick. I was like, now I could buy that. And I think that'd be really cool. If
0: yeah, that's that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah.
3: You yeah. know what?
0: I'll go one step further. You know, I'm personally not in this camp, but I saw a lot of complaints on social media about like, oh man, Kingpin's way overpowered now. He was just flinging Kate all around that toy store. What if we find out that it's neither of these uh, characters that are super strong, but Kate is just
1: super light? Like, that's her power.
0: <laughs>
3: Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's interesting about the whole Kingpin fight scene as well, too, because I think um, everybody was comparing that scene to what you saw the Netflix series of Kingpin, right? And right and the Netflix series is really more realistic and it's not superpowered, but like what you know people can actually achieve. And Kingpin was definitely I mean, the fact that the man, you know, pretty much goes unscathed from being blown up from a bomb underneath him. And is able to walk away from that, like you know, that's not realistic at all. And so I know there's been a lot of controversy of is this actually the same kingpin, even though Vincent Danafia has said, you know, they they're treating it as it is, or is this really, you know, a variant kingpin or even a scroll? Um, oh. Somebody has suggested as well too. So yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. That's, that would but, be really I mean, interesting. It,
1: yeah, I, I I agree with you, Trey. I think it's it's a very different one than we saw from um, from the Netflix series for sure. Um, but part of that is that you know the Netflix series is is more you know mature and darker, and you can't really do that on a Disney Channel show, right? But right. you know, I, I think the fact that you know it's a huge difference in terms of like physical abilities, um, you know, does kind of make you pause and think about you know is this actually the same Kingpin or not? So
0: yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
0: man. I'm not gonna lie; you're not wrong. But hearing you refer to this as Disney Channel shows like just had me <laughs> shaking in my seat. I'm like, wow! Like you just blew my brain. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Well, well, and that's why I was never worried about Clint being killed off because I know a lot of people were theorizing if that's what's going to happen, and some people were really convinced. I'm like, I I know it's not going to happen for two reasons. One, the last episode is happening right before Christmas, and they're and Disney is not in the business of killing off. A beloved character who's trying to get back home to his family right before right, Christmas, right before Christmas. And, and be known as Disney ruined Christmas
3: for everybody <laughs> in the MCU, yes. right?
2: <laughs> no, um, you're 100% right on that. Oh, <laughs> you know, well, it's it's one of those things that, you know, and, and I know we're still in that first section of the outline, but but it's, it's one of the things that I always go back to the whole just think about the story think about how many episodes you have the story they're trying to tell and i know we'll get into it a little bit later but that's that's why i i was convinced that laura barton was an agent and and stuff and and why how i would now that road of like okay we probably won't see fisk like are we going to get somebody that big in the end and something like this mm-hmm. and then that's kind of how i convinced myself like we're not going to get this you you know Uh, you you can just, you know, we have that media vocabulary built in and you can kind of figure out some pieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to
0: circle back to something you said earlier to lead into one of the things that I liked overall about Hawkeye. Uh, dude, you mentioned, uh, what you compared this to the winter soldier and what the Russo brothers did as far as action goes, uh, to go out even further on that limb as well. I think, that the hawkeye series for clint did what winter soldier did for captain america Uh, and i say Mm. that being (laughs) a, a huge captain america fan but i can admit he was a little cheesy in the first avengers but i still liked him but it wasn't until winter soldier that i think that people started looking a little bit more like oh okay this is this is a really cool character you know a little bit deeper than i was giving credit for and that i think is what the Hawkeye series has done for Clint Barton uh you know I mentioned mm-hmm. it a little bit last week when we were doing our episode with Tara I have loved watching just the meta conversation go from people being like oh, I don't really care about Hawkeye to being able to name him Clint Barton now I think that's yeah. always a very mm-hmm. telling sign whenever it comes to the fandom because I've seen it with Black Widow to Natasha uh Captain America to Steve Rogers like that's such a cool bridge to watch uh or such a cool gap to watch be bridge in the fandoms and all that to to lead into the thing that i liked overall you know so often when we talk about these mcu shows the thing or shows or movies the thing we say is oh it's expanding the universe it's expanding this and that like it's it, it's making it bigger the key to Hawkeye, and the thing that I think I liked overall, is it deepened the universe. And I think that is something that is uh, what I will continue to beat the drum for of this series, because it gave us a deeper look into Clint's life, Uh, it introduced a a better civilian view of what it's like to be in this MCU world. Uh, It introduced a more grounded antagonist section with the tracksuit mafia, even if they were comical, but it even built on that with people like Maya and Kazi and Kingpin. So the Hawkeye show, I don't think, was telling a complex story, but for the most part, it told it really well, and I think that's what I really liked about this series overall.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I really like how you said it, it deepened the universe. Like I never thought about it that way, but that's exactly what it did for um, for Clint Barton and and even you know introducing Kate Bishop. It it mm-hmm. does that same thing where it it doesn't um, have that whole. There's a universal worldwide threat that's happening, but there's like a street level um, thing where you know it's not going to impact like what happens in the movies necessarily, but it's still a great story that you're going to want to watch it because it's done so well, like what you said, Trey. And I think it gives a lot of great insight to Clint, especially with the aftermath of what he's experiencing and everything. Because I don't think that, you know, with the exception of of WandaVision, you know, we don't get a whole lot of insight in terms of how – People are dealing with you know that sort of loss that happened after in game, and I think they just did a fantastic job of being able to tell that story, um, especially through the eyes of Clint, who's struggling with you know what he had to lose, you know with his family, and then he had to lose Nat in order to get his family back, and how even like this. Um, you know, whoever wrote the score, they did a fantastic job of whenever they, mm-hmm. they were talking about or even alluding to Nat. Cause there's a couple of times where they're not even talking about Nat, but when he saw Kate Bishop like fall over the roof and, and, yeah. you know, it was clearly he was thinking back to, cause he was saying, no, 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 no. And I was waiting for him to say like, not again, because I can imagine he's just thinking like, you know, this is what happened with Nat. And as Kate's laying there, they, uh, brought in the score from vormir mm-hmm. you know underneath it to kind of support and give you that cue of like you know this is what it you know mostly is happening here and i think um, that you know that was just a really great way to tell that story and i think you're right trace that it deepens it and that these shows are going to be a great way and gives them a great opportunity to kind of dive deeper into things that we don't capture in the mcu as films
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. oh yeah and, and even like uh, Yelena, I loved Yelena in this, but like that small part where it's the same thing. You got to know a little bit more, more about her. Um, mm-hmm. And and so you had that, that depth. I liked, and it's very brief, but I liked, it's kind of weird, but going back to New York, 2012 and mm-hmm. seeing, and I mean, we get, <laughs> Seeing the impact that it had on Kate and and that story and and how that impacted her, how what happened um, with her family, dad died. What did her mom have to do with being a widower? You know, um, and they and setting all that up. Um, so even while that was a small part of it, I I like mm. that s- seeing those big events from other people's eyes.
3: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: the fact that that it's the catalyst for kate and everything that she wants to do like that's i think that's huge and and plays into building that world as more believable Mm
2: -hmm. yeah well and you know they gave us the i think the character of the mcu with the most depth of all jack um, you came <laughs> you know like he's just layer after layer um, like, but, so, yeah. but at
1: the end of the day like Jack is what you see is what you get like we were just putting on like what oh, we I think is Jack. actually happening but yeah but Jack was just pretty much there. there's no secrets behind that guy other than he was a really good fencer right like <laughs>
3: yeah. he, yeah. Yeah. he, I he loved, wears his I heart it. on
1: his sleeve that way yeah I loved it <laughs> yeah mm.
0: You know, I I talked about it, and I know this is going to sound weird because we're in the the positive section of of this outline, but, you know, I talked about how disappointed it was because I wanted more from that actor, but if Mm. we get more of Jack being the petty superhero he was when he was dissing... or, Mon the seventh, about like, oh, you peed yourself at the Hamptons. I would be so happy because that is such a funny angle of just somebody who wants to be a superhero but is so petty about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. To, to like a seven year old of all people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right.
1: <laughs> oh, man. No, <laughs> it's like no man, woman, or child is safe from Jackie Kane. <laughs> I
0: mean, and it's so, and like, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Call too much because it's a superhero show, right? Like, realism sometimes goes out the window. But it is funny mm-hmm. to me how I mentioned with Hawkeye, because his choice of weapon is so grounded, it ended up being the most horrifying because he was shooting people with arrows and to watch them go flinging backwards was just really brutal. Right. On that same token, Watching Jack go out there with a sword and just start swiping at people and then end his final scene with like, oh, I got blood on my tie. Yeah. There is no layers to him but to being a superhero and a swordsman.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh. yeah. Well, and, and do you two know the, the comic history of that character? I do not.
2: I okay. I, I know that he's the swordsman. Um, yeah. But, so, be, but I don't know a whole lot about him. So,
1: so in the comics um, – Yes, just like what you said Jude, he is the swordsman, but he was actually the one that trained Hawkeye, Clint Barton here in the comics. Uh, and okay. so yeah, and and so I, I had a theory for a while after um episode 3 ended when it ended with um uh Jack h- holding the Ronin sword up to his neck. I had mm-hmm. a theory because of the way that they showed Ronin um killing off the tracksuit mafia and Maya, you know, seeing her father get killed. I had a theory that maybe jack and clinton knew each other because of that back history but it turns out they took a different approach with it but it's it's really Mm -hmm. interesting because that character does show up in the um the saga of barton and bishop that i talked about earlier and Mm -hmm. he's in there for like one maybe two issues but um but that's what i really love about the mcu is that they take the characters that already exist in the comics and they might be a hundred percent faithful to it. I don't want to say hundred percent because everyone's going to have issues right. with it. But like you know, ninety percent mostly faithful to it, or they might just take a completely different approach. And I love what they did with Jack here because mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. I think he, he's a really interesting character in this way, and I think it it fits really well for the overall story here as well too. And I think it's just it was really a delight to see him in this kind of um, relationship with uh, with Kate and and Clinton and everybody else as well too. So.
3: Mm-hmm
2: oh yeah like they you know they they did a really good job of playing into God the stereotypes that we're used to seeing visually I keep going to like back to that that vocabulary that that we've learned over the years because my wife when watched it, it was just like no he's a creep he's the bad guy <laughs> it's gonna happen he's the bad guy he's a creep. You know, and, right. and I was already ahead and she's catching up. And I'm just like, no, he's just a doofus. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, he's just a doofus, right. um, you know, but, but he did, they did such a good job. Like you said, the, the sword is like, okay, maybe he's not a doofus but right. then he's like oh you're you're the archer it's like no you're just <laughs> okay <laughs> you know so yeah it's just it, having characters like that is really uh fun and, and i think it's really fun it's one of the things Trey's, I, Trey and i've talked about in some of our um episodes and even the movies is marvel has this tendency sometimes um they'll undercut you know moments with with this comedy this you know this levity and it's like no let that you should have let that moment breathe um
3: mm-hmm.
2: and this series i think did that well uh they can't they did it well with jack's character we had those funny moments of that levity but like when mm-hmm. hawkeye went to the memorial you know, and he's and, right. and he's talking and stuff like I I was waiting for when the person next to him is going to make a comment, you know, that Hawkeye didn't know or Clint, whatever, didn't know because he t- took his hearing aid out. Uh, but they didn't right. do that. They left it. So that was what I was also another thing that was really cool about Jack is, is the way they were able to use them for that for that comedy, but mm-hmm. but still let those really important moments breathe. Yeah.
1: Right. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, on on social media, we we put out the question about like what lessons we'd like to see the MCU adopt from Hawkeye. And we're going to get to that question later. But I did want to jump in here and say, Jude, off of what you just said, uh, Ben.Maddy on Instagram, that was his answer. They said, you know put the characters first and let the more serious moment sit instead of making a joke right after. And and I couldn't agree more with him and with what you said because I think this is one of the more emotionally intelligent shows in the way they let the emotion be the moving force rather than, than having to make a joke afterward because I'm thinking of that memorial scene um, and probably one of the biggest highlights of the series is the conversation where Kate was interpreting for him for his son. And mm-hmm. how much that just knocked everybody over with how impactful that was, um, and and to to tie it to what I was saying earlier, not only does it deepen who we know of Clint, but it deepens what it is our heroes are actually giving up to, you know, in in the medicines provide our entertainment, but in the narrative, be the hero that they are lauded for.
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and I agree with both of you because I think what they did with Clint Barton this show was really great in how they did that and just like what you said they didn't um, throw the comedy there at the expense of those serious moments but Clint's character in the show had a lot of serious moments and had a lot of great comical moments as well mm-hmm. too that mm-hmm. you know you can you can marry both of them in the same um, story with the same character and have a really great show or a really great movie by allowing those moments to happen without having to take, you know, make it lighter because of that. Because just like what we've been talking about, it's it's those emotional scenes that we saw with his conversation with his son and, and Kate having to uh, interpret that. Um, you know, the the conversation that he and Kate had about Clint losing Nat and the, you know the shot he didn't take. He was the best shot he ever took, right? And and yeah. the memorial and things like that. Like those are really heartfelt, emotional scenes that. You know, had you made a joke at the end of it, I think would have just completely erased what Clint was experiencing in the whole show. And I think they did a great job of, of creating that balance there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially that moment there with the the best shot you you ever took was the one he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, such a fantastic moment.
0: And if anything, it feels like the reverse of what we're talking about because you know we're talking about moments being undercut with humor that whole scene is humor and leads into the seriousness. And the way that right. it did it mm-hmm. is you saw Clint become comfortable and he wanted to open up and then he's like, no, no, I, I can't talk about this. So it's like, yeah. it's almost like it was the show and, and I don't know this for sure, I'm just speculating, but it was almost like the show was aware of that and it was leaning into like, no, we're going to
1: let the emotion drive this scene. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what I really love about that scene, Trey, is that we see him struggle with how he lost his family and that he was really heartbroken over that. And he was missing his family. And he was really struggling with the loss of Nat. And then when Kate figures out that he's Ronin, Jeremy Renner did a great job of just switching mental attitudes because all of a sudden he shut down and he was like, people had to handle it their own way. Mm-hmm. And he was like, almost like, not remorseful of what he did. And I think it's because if he had opened up those floodgates, he would just probably break down because he had to like figure out how to compartmentalize. But I think Jeremy Renner just did a great job of expressing those different kinds of diverse ways of how people handle those things mentally with, with grief and loss and things like that. And, and I, I think it was just phenomenal. Like that whole scene was just absolutely phenomenal from an acting point of view that has such great range From you know, not just being able to do comedy and and emotional, heartfelt scenes, but within the emotional, heartfelt scenes, they were able to do you know even more range with that and go even deeper with that as well too. So I I I love that scene as well for that reason.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And and on that topic of of Jeremy Renner's acting, Haley Steinfeld, uh, just the the seriousness and reserved nature that that. I, that Clint is bringing is brought out by the earnest and sincere nature of Kate that Haley Steinfeld and brings. And I thought they mm-hmm. were such a great pair on screen together.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. They, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they definitely capture that banter between martin and bishop that we see in the comics and it definitely showed on screen and and they were just fantastic with each other like they're you know i know you know we'll probably talk about this like you know kate and yelena were great on screen um, and I think that if we had never had Kate and Elena, because that's what's you know kind of taking social media by storm with that relationship. Um, before that moment, Kate and, Bishop, um, Kate and Clint's relationship was just fantastic because of that budding partnership that they were able to that the actors were able to display on screen. I think they did a fantastic job as that as well too. So. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah it it was it was just so natural. Uh, and again, the way they were able to have that mentor-mentee relationship, you know, and, mm-hmm. you, and you just kind of, you felt it.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I,
0: I think in episode two, I called it the unsolicited pupil, and and I can't help but remember the scene where Clint begrudgingly gives her his cell phone number. It's like, okay, in case yes. of emergencies only, and then as he's walking away, she's like, I'll call you, and he's just like <laughs> walking away, dejected.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Such a great pairing. I know. Well, and, and what was genius in that scene is that, the character Kate knew him well enough already to know that she, what was she did? Like she texted from his number yeah. <laughs> to her. So that way she had his number, right? Or, or, or yeah. Cause that's what it was. is like, he gave her, he gave her his phone to put her number in, but he wasn't going to have her have his number until she texted Cause she knew already <laughs> that he was not going to do it. So she just went ahead and did it anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It, it was just a, it, like, Kate is just, is that annoying nuisance for clint, but <laughs> but but it was such a great way that you know it grows on him and everything, but you know just the fact that she's able to think ahead is like, I know what he's gonna do, and I want this, I'm gonna make it happen basically, and she keeps doing that throughout the whole series. I love it. I always thought Haley Steinfeld would have been a great choice for Kate Bishop, and she absolutely nailed it with it, so oh yeah, oh, yeah,
0: I think. I saw this on Twitter, and I, one, I'm going to butcher it, and the two, not be able to properly credit it. But if I if I come across <laughs> it, I'll make sure to, to link it. But somebody said that Haley Steinfeld to Kate Bishop is what Robert Downey Jr. was to Tony Stark. And mm. it's hard to to full-throat full support that because it's only one entry. But what a heck of an entry for Haley Steinfeld to come in and leave her mark on the MCU, because I think it is is no secret she has quickly become a fan favorite across the entirety of the MCU fandom.
1: Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: In conjunction with Yelena. So I want to take some time real quick because we really haven't talked about them that much. Uh, Sean, do you have any favorite scenes of Kate and Yelena together? Oh, my God. Hold them? <laughs> I'm still in the top five mode from last week. I'm trying to make people pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. Cause like, and it's hard to pick one scene because I think they've only had three scenes together in this series, right? The yeah. the, the action scene on the rooftop, which wasn't a whole lot of interaction at all. And then when Elena shows up in her uh, apartment and then their, their fight sequence <laughs> at the... At the party, and that was it, right? And and I gotta say, I think I, I really enjoyed the apartment uh, scene as my favorite between Kate and Elena um, for a couple of reasons. Is is one, it was great to kind of see them have a really uh, a, again like wide spectrum of kinds of conversations they had. Like it was you know a, a mix of comedy, it was a mix of emotional drama, and just uh, you know a little bit of like anger and, and Elena having that you know dramatic uh, exit you know she she's become a poser like what she called <laughs> nat right um but i what i love about it is that i have heard or read somewhere that um when they filmed the scene i guess they just let haley and florence do their thing as, in their characters for like a long time and like i guess they didn't take a whole lot of direction from it and and they just had those conversations naturally and so it's just they had a natural relationship um that they or rapport with each other that they build that just worked really well on screen and that's why everybody just loves them because they were just so fantastic to watch like if you can watch somebody ha- like watch two people have a good a conversation for that long and be enamored by that i think that tells you what great charisma they those two have with each other you know yeah
0: man and if that's true about the improvisation of their scenes together
3: Mm -hmm. that
0: that's incredible and and i can believe it like the way they work together is is fantastic like i mean the whole the box macaroni and cheese scene like yes (laughs) that that is such a natural conversation between them two and and the way that kate was just disgusted as yelena is pouring in that hot sauce and just like going to town like it is (laughs) again to come back to this word authentic and Mm -hmm. You know, earlier Jude had mentioned that the action scenes were well done. Um, The thing that I think makes them so well done is the ability to imbue narrative. So it's not just action for action's sake. And, you know, I know that a scene in the apartment isn't an action scene, but the fact that there's so much meaning and that conversation going back and forth about trying to basically have Clint on trial. Like you had uh, mm-hmm. yelena attacking him and wanting to make her case for why she wanted to kill him and kate was putting the things that clint had taught her to as a defense and so i just again i thought it was brilliant and to pair that with the scene of them in the office building as they were fighting back and forth um, mm-hmm. you, that was my setup for the action narrative part it speaks so much about who Kate is that she is clearly outmatched and yet she still keeps going uh, at Elena and trying to stop oh, yeah. her from, from killing Clint.
1: Yep. Oh yeah. Well, and, and we see that in all of her like action scenes, like just the stubbornness of, you know, she doesn't care. If she's outmatched. She's not going to, you know, you know, just roll over and and play dead at all. Like we saw that when she got thrown off the building, you know, and she just kind of grunts and went right back up to the ceiling after Clint tells her to go home. Right. And, and I think that tells a lot about characters. Like, you know, even though she knows, uh, well, and, and I don't know if she knows, like, she's probably still naive at that point, because I remember that, you know, in that same scene where she's like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't kill you. And Yelena's like, oh, that's so funny, you know, thinking that you could kill me. I, I think, you know, there's still that naivete that goes along with it. But the fact that she's stubborn and, and ambitious and, um like, motivated and committed to that, I I think speaks a lot about her character that we, we see from uh, the comics as well, too. It really portrays on the screen very well with Haley Steinfeld, so.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I can't help, but like, I know this is always like a a go-to, but the, I can't remember exactly the Congo, but some Looney Tune, uh, cartoon where it's the big dog, just keeping the little dog at bay with their hand while the little dog is just swinging. That's Kate Uh, in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, I think unless there's any more that might wrap up some of the overall positive things we had to say. Mm -hmm. Um, we're gonna move into some of the disappointments that we had for the Hawkeye series, uh, and starting with Jude this time. Uh, what was what were some of the things that disappointed you about Hawkeye?
2: Uh, my biggest disappointment was the treatment of Kingpin. Um, <laughs> 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 you know, and, and I know I talked about it in an episode. It, it just that that's really I think my my. Well, no. My biggest disappointment is I didn't get two more episodes because I love the show. Uh, but, <laughs> but just I again, I just thought that the they didn't quite land the finale. Uh, now, again, having said that, if your first episode you've downloaded of us, I feel like th- this is my favorite Disney Plus show, and the finale is like one B to Loki's one A finale. Just like just looking at the finale by itself, Loki was finale was so good Mm -hmm. we just got too much of kingpin you know we've already mentioned the being blown up by the bomb and and all of that stuff uh for as big a name and big a character as he is and as big of name of an actor uh that that's getting uh that's reprising this role actually um i just thought they could have done a better way uh i feel like you could have accomplished the same things wrapping up Maya's story in terms of like having Kazi die and but not Maya having to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I think there's a little bit of me for me at least not having enough handholding on on, on understanding Kazi's arc. Uh, so like that was the the biggest disappointment.
0: You know I, I can step into that space with you because uh, I think it's pretty clear for anybody who's been listening to our coverage and if not I'll get to it later but there was so much, I think, about Maya's story that felt like it didn't get to finish, as well as the Ronan aspect of Clint. Uh so those were those were my disappointments. But to talk about what you mean with the hand holding and Kazi, uh, there were external knowledge that I knew because of interviews that Fra Fee had about his character, Kazi, where he mentioned that it was uh that he was there in the karate class with Maya when they were kids and so without that knowledge i think it's 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 easy to miss the seething not seething but like just the slow boil of jealousy that Kazi had for Maya taking over after her father had passed away. And so Mm -hmm. without that context, I think it is a little easy to see why that fight was out of place. And so, yeah, I I just wanted to step in and set that context for, for people who didn't know that part about Kazi as well. And really I'll even say this uh, because I was watching some videos on, on Hawkeye to kind of prep for this. You know, I think there it is a mistake of the show that Kazi is such a, cloudy character because i saw people refer to him as her cousin and they're they're not related it's just we didn't get a clear enough picture of who kazi is not only in relation to maya but i think in some of the motivations of the show itself
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: well and i think part of that confusion is because they kept referring to kingpin as uncle as well too
3: yeah
2: yeah
1: And, and and there's and there's a lot of confusion around that from a lot of different angles because um in the comics and this is kind of probably alluded into the show as well too, but just you know, just to your point, Trey, they didn't really dive into it too much. Is that in the comics, Kingpin actually adopted Maya as his daughter when um, when her father dies, mm-hmm. and so there's so I can see some people probably thinking that they were supposed to be cousins in that um, in that way because they were probably thinking that because Kazi's referring to him as uncle and Maya's referring to him as uncle that they're probably not really brother and sister. In that regard, and so I think the 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 term of endearment that they're using there probably kind of threw people off a little bit in terms of they're not quite sure what that relationship is because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I I think you're right in that you know there it, it wasn't Kazi's story was probably one that didn't get as much treatment as some of the other ones because I know you know up until episode three. You know, he seemed like he was a very ominous character because in episode one, you see him, you know, looking at Kate Bishop in the Ronin suit when she's across the street and she just saved, you know, pizza dog. Right. Um, and you see his face for the first time and they kind of set up to be a very ominous kind of looking experience. And then when Clint refers to him as the uh, general manager of the, you know, the <laughs> furniture store, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> He's like, is, is that you guys' manager? Again, he doesn't talk or anything in that whole scene. And so he kind of gives this ominous, Presence in there. And then it just seems like it kind of got glossed over because they were trying to do a whole lot. And I think it's probably one of those things where just like what you said, Jude, if they had two more episodes, I think they could extrapolate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if you you both noticed, but Hawkeye kind of went into this pattern of the first episode, they went into the origin story of Kate right 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 and then the second episode picked up right after the first episode and then when we get into the third episode we it opens with the origin story of Maya mm-hmm. and then the fourth episode picks up right after where it ends with the with the third episode so I think if they were to do two more episodes Kazi would have been a great one for them to do an, another origin story right. to kind of help develop that a little bit more because yeah because I think just like what you said, I, you know, K is really relatively new to the general population. Uh, Maya Lopez is in Kazi, whereas Kingpin doesn't really need to have that sort of origin story because everybody kind of knows who he is on a conscious, I don't know, like a collective conscious level because mm-hmm. he's in so many um, stories and movies already. But with these characters, you kind of need that introduction. And I think you're right is that Kazi didn't get that sort of treatment like the other ones did. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and my mistake was I, I, I took it as Kazi cared for Maya and, and not to say that he didn't, but, and so the, the whole idea where this should have been my life and like you got what should have been mine mm-hmm. was just a, a weird flip for me. And so that's why it's like, well, if we rearrange where Maya goes to confront Kazi and Kingpin, you have that whole section, and Kingpin decides to do Kingpin things mm-hmm. at that moment, and then Kazi steps in, and then that would also kind of, I guess, even prompt more motivation later for Echo, assuming that's where Kingpin shows up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I realized there's a comic storyline right. that could be played out here, but it, it just felt for this story it would have been better to to do it this way. Uh you could have I still feel like they could have had Kate save her mom from Kingpin without having to do that particular battle. Mm-hmm. Again, because I know you want to show that basic hero's journey, right? I learned from the mentor. I have to show now that in in take those lessons and show on my own in terms of scaling what we're used to seeing with marvel of like the scaling up in powers and leveling up mm-hmm. kate bishop went from origin story to way beyond what what i think naturally would have progressed right there from what we're used to and that's and that's where it's just kind of like okay um and then again kingpin it's just such a looming presence that the, they could have, i think had some patience and held on to that a little longer
1: right yeah, yeah, I think they definitely have some plans for Kingpin like in the future, um, because the one scene that really sticks out to me that I think is a, a bit of a hint for us is when she shoots Kingpin with an arrow, and then it just like sticks in him, and it seemed like it does a phase, and she just looks at him and is like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that kind of is a hint for us that something's going on here that I, I honestly don't I honestly believe that this is not the last time we're seeing Kingpin. I think he's going to show up again. Yeah. Um. But I think we're probably going to find out more either in an, another you know series or you know whether it's Echo or another movie or something like that. Um. But yeah, I, I, um, yeah, yeah, I, I see where you where you all are going from that, and and um, I, I, I think what they did with Kingpin, I think I, I'll be honest, I think they actually probably did what they should have done because what you don't want to do is you don't want to bring a character like that that ends up overpowering the entire finale uh, by having him be like the main villain that they fight um, at the end. Right. Especially when he hasn't shown up at this point, because then, you know, from a screenwriting point of view, like how do you make all that fit and make that make sense in a sense? And so I I think what they actually did, I, I, in my opinion, I think actually made a lot of sense from not trying to have the other stories get overshadowed by, yeah, um, putting a whole lot of attention on Kingpin because then we probably wouldn't have um, as much of an emotional impact with the resolution that we get from uh, uh, Yelena and, and Clint and some of the other stories as well too. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I definitely agree. I think Kazi's story is um, mm-hmm. something that's a little bit of uh, kind of scratching your head with that. Yeah. So
2: Now, on our finale episode, I'm going to throw this to Trey – Trey thought, and actually I thought he was actually pretty convincing, but they fumbled Clint's story at the end here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I
0: I don't know if you were familiar with what I said in that episode, Sean, but just to recap it here, um, mm-hmm. to me the reason the, that this wasn't my favorite Disney Plus show, despite it being so close, is that the whole... J- point, the origin point for what they were doing with Clint was mm-hmm. that they were trying to make some, or he was trying to atone for what he did as Ronan. That was clearly looming over his head at the beginning of the show. And so mm-hmm. naturally, when you get to the end, you want to have that resolve. Right. And I know there's no way that they could actually make amends for everything he did as Ronan because he did go on a brutally savage murder spree. Right. But I thought it was smart in the way that they they gave us an in with tying his actions as Ronin to the life of Maya. And Mm
3: -hmm.
0: the thing where it starts to fall apart for me is in episode five, whenever they had that confrontation with Clint and Maya, it came across to me that Clint was talking down to Maya. There was never an an ounce of remorse or apology for what he did. It was talking down to her like, hey, we're weapons. And if we don't control our anger, we get used. And this is what happens. If you come at me or my family again, I will kill you. That just felt like in contrast to so much of what they were doing with Clint and trying to humanize him and let him open up. And I thought that would have been such a great moment, uh, a, a character growth moment for him to really have that honesty and sincerity with with Maya. And we ended up getting mm. it in a way with the way that he opens up to Yelena. It just, it felt like they missed out on that closure with Maya. And even in the finale, even though I like that episode a lot, it felt like it was a missed opportunity that there are zero scenes with Maya and Clint. And- right. That, to me, is, is a misstep because it doesn't finish Maya's story either. Like, so much of what was motivating her was the death of her father. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to get that closure at the end of the show. But mm-hmm. the fact that we didn't get much progress other than a hint at it being Kazi felt like another misstep for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's what I would put as my biggest disappointment of the show and and to throw to you i i want to know i mean do you feel that way or do you have any points in the other
1: direction um i i mean to to your point i i, I think um here's how i would kind of frame it with that whole scene cuz cuz i i agree with you in that it would have been great to see clint show remorse for killing uh, maya's father there right mm-hmm. yeah um I I think there's a couple of things that probably the writers were probably fighting up against is that if you have that scene with Maya and showing that sort of remorse, I think that probably would have taken away the emotional impact they were trying to get with Yelena and Clint from when they talk about Nat. Uh, Because if you have like two of those kind of moments with that same character, like I think it it tends to get overshadowed because they're kind of similar in terms of that Mm -hmm. sense of remorse. Um, But I think with Clint, I, here's the sense I get is that I think it's less about him atoning and more about him trying to put it behind him because I, I think it's um, I, I think we would love to see him kind of atone, but you know, at the same time he was trying to kill like bad guys in his mind. Right. And so even though, you know, Maya's father is like a really great father to Maya and everything like that. And when you put it in context, like there's still the tracksuit mafia and we don't know what was going on at that time, but I mean, they're, they're still criminals now did they deserve to be killed? Probably not, you know, but I, I still agree with you, Trey. I, I think that is something that they kind of fell apart a little bit is that he, he could have at least said that, you know, at the time, this is what I was facing. And, and he made that connection about how they're both weapons that are being guided, you know, mm-hmm. blinded by anger, but he could have still, at least, he didn't have to have like a heartfelt um, reaction, but he still could have at least acknowledged that what he did, did you know affected her and shouldn't have happened and at least acknowledge that and so i think i agree with you with that trey is that there should have been some sort of acknowledgement with that and and i think that was a, a missed opportunity i don't know why they didn't put that in there and, and i do agree like it, it was kind of odd because it almost seemed like maya's no longer mad at him and i get why because you know even though he killed him you know Clint killed him she now knows that he was ordered to kill him. It wasn't just something that he just did, you know, willy mm-hmm. nilly. But at the same time, like I, I've never experienced, you know, a loss of a loved one from murder in that way. I can't imagine that like someone just kind of lets him off the hook in that regard either. So, mm-hmm. but in terms of my biggest disappointments, there, there, I'll say there are four things, you know, ranging from like just a small thing to here's probably my biggest disappointment. Um, I will say the first thing was. I'll be honest, and this is probably a hot take, but I was actually disappointed with Rogers the Musical.
3: Whoa. What? <laughs> 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 and, yes. And, and
1: here's why. It, and because I think there's a lot of things that's really interesting about that that I kind of um, find it interesting in terms of why I think it was probably, I don't want to say mishandled, but I think it just didn't really impress me. It, is one is that it's a. It's a musical about an event that happened in New York. That's probably you know still fresh on people's minds. About like people probably died from that event, or you know their lives were flipped upside down because of that. And you're making a musical that's kind of making light of that, right? Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for me is that have you two ever seen a Broadway show before? Uh, Not an
2: actual hmm. live
1: performance,
2: like well, but I've seen, like okay. a musical, or like like I've seen stage production shows not musicals right they were not in new york i was it was in london so
1: okay gotcha but it's like broadway on london or in london something like that
2: yeah
1: yeah 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 so so if you ever go to a broadway show or even go to a traveling broadway show because they have those you'll see that the theater production quality is like is i I wouldn't be surprised if their budget is almost you know the same kind of budget as what you see with a tv or film because Mm -hmm. it is professional looking it is really well done all the production theatrics and the you know sound effects the special effects that they do with all that is just top notch mm-hmm. um and when i look at the costumes that they use for rogers and musical it legitimately looks like a high school put on this play <laughs> because <laughs> thor's costume was or hulk's costume was literally a guy with green face paint and a hoodie. And Ant Man was a guy wearing a baseball jersey with the PIM like symbol on front of it. Like I would have expected it to reflect more of a Broadway show, especially with the theater that they were in it was actually a Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of I guess disappointed by that. The other I'll say my other three things. I'll let you. Th- uh, to chime in whenever you want with, with all that. But <laughs> I'll, I'll just kind of throw these three things out and then I'll step back. But the other thing was I was really disappointed that they didn't really do much about Maya's Native American heritage. Mm-hmm. I, I love that they mm-hmm. hone in on her uh, deafness and her relationship with her father and everything about her, but they did nothing about her Native American heritage. And it was a missed opportunity for me in episode um, three where she has that conversation with her dad at bedtime talking about dragons. And I'm like, that would have been a great way to introduce some sort of Native American folklore oh, yeah. as part of that conversation instead of dragons. Yeah. So, so it's just really, I thought it was a huge missed opportunity. I hope they rectified that in the Echo series that's coming out later. Mm-hmm. But I, I really want to see that become more of a focal point for her character. As much as I love Kate Bishop and love Haley Steinfeld, I think by episode four, I was over kate's maturity level and her fan <laughs> over
3: clint it,
1: and that's how i felt like and, and i go back and forth on this because i was just like i i get it you know you're 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 know, really excited about him but I, I think you know when she goes to larpers and she's like you know i'm hawkeye's partner slash you know best friend like i was like okay that's a little bit too much because like he's not even around and you're saying that uh-huh. you know um but at the same time, like when you put it in perspective, like this series like takes place in the span of a week, so she's probably not going to come down from that high for a while. No. So I think the next time we we see her in a season, she's probably going to calm down a lot from that. But yeah, I, I think for me, I was like, eh, I'm not sure how I felt about her maturity level. Mm-hmm. So uh, I
0: guess I spoke too soon when I said Kate Bishop had become a fan favorite across the <laughs> MCU fandom. Huh?
1: No, I I honestly. She is still my favorite. Like I absolutely love her and I love that. That's like the only one thing, and that's like a screenwriting like issue as opposed to a character or or acting thing. I think Haley nailed it in terms of acting, but it's just I think it was just the way it was written. Like that's the only issue I had with that. Other than mm-hmm. that, fantastic, right? Yeah. 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 So and, and the last thing that I'll say I'm actually really disappointed about is um, the watch belonging to Laura Barton
2: i remember you you were you tweeted something about that uh and i I was curious and definitely something i wanted to ask you about uh to elaborate on why why was that a disappointment
1: yeah so i so for me there's a there's like i think two or three huge issues that i have with it is one is that what's what's the so what of that now right so Mm -hmm. okay we find out that she was mockingbird and that she worked for shield it's like so what? Like, like, where do we leave with that now? Right. And, and I can't imagine they're creating a Mockingbird series, you know, based off of this now. And so I, it was just kind of interesting. Like all the things they could have done about the watch, like that's what they led with. And I don't know what what that was uh, or what the intent was, other than try to maybe connect it to how he was married to um, Bobby Morris who was Mockingbird in the comics. But what's interesting is that there is a Laura Barton in the comics that was married to Clint, but it was like a different, it wasn't earth 616. Mm-hmm. So it was a different universe. So, I mean, that's the only reason I think why they did that. And, and I didn't think it was a, like a good enough reason to do that. Uh, the other reason that I was kind of disappointed with that is that it still doesn't make sense why Maya and Fisk was after the watch. And mm-hmm. the first thing that people will point out is that, well, you know, Clint was Ronan, but I'll point out to them, it was like, well, at the time, if it was Maya trying to get the watch, Maya didn't know that Clint was Ronan, right? Yep. Right. And then people say, well, Fisk knew is was running And But in episode six, when you hear Fisk talking to Kazi about what's going on, he said, there's Ronan on the loose and there's an Avenger after us, which implies that he didn't know that they were the same person right. at that time either. Right. So it, it, did, it still doesn't make sense why they're after that watch. And so I think that was like a huge story like plot hole for me that just bothered me that they could have done a whole lot of things. And there was like so much focus on the watch and yep. then like, this is what they did yeah. with it. I was just, that was like the biggest letdown for me.
0: Yeah. I'll go out there with you on that. Like the, the, the mockingbird stuff I'm okay with. Like it goes more to what I was saying in the positive section about like, it, it just feels like it deepens the world. Like we don't have to go that right. far into it, but we it's, it broadens the view. But Mm -hmm. my problem with the watch is the second thing you said in that it felt like a pointless MacGuffin. And and, and it feels like this is becoming a trend. Depending on you ask, all MacGuffins are pointless, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But you illustrated exactly what my problem was, that who wanted the watch? You know, you spotlighted why it couldn't be Kingpin or Maya. I was Mm -hmm. speculating that maybe it was Kazi. And that somehow he knew that it was tied to Clint and he wanted that as leverage to make sure that it never came out that he was the one who ordered the hit on Maya's father because mm-hmm. it would make sense why he was there and they had that shot of him lifting up his mask and looking very concerned now reala- realizing that this had become mm-hmm. a deeper problem. But again, we unfortunately just never got a, a, a broader look at who Kazi is and what his motivations were. Right. But uh, you're 100% spot on in that that watch felt like a, a a, a weird centerpiece that never became important.
2: Well, it's, it's one of those, like you're in the writing it, and I, this is what I feel like would happen. You're in the writing room and you have this Christmas story of dad separated from family. And how do mm-hmm. we get him home? And, it, and that's like I said, that MacGuffin, that mechanism that's, that's makes it so important. Um, just like the rodent suit, the suit itself Felt like I'm a little bit of a. The point of it was how do we get Kate and Barton together? You know, right? Um, at that point, it's like okay, we're gonna. I love the Larpers, but we're gonna have to go see the Larpers now. Then we're gonna have to do this. It just, mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree on on that sense.
1: Yeah, well, and I will say this to you: like you, you bring up another good point that I actually mentioned before on uh, our podcast is that. Just like what you said, the watch was almost needless in this sense because Clint had already acknowledged that the suit was tied to him, which means it would be tied to his family. And so the suit by itself is already showing that the family is in danger. So the watch didn't need to be like another plot device in that aspect. And then, Trey, what you said about Kazi, like I would say even then that theory still doesn't hold up about Kazi wanting it because Kazi and Clint didn't really know who each other were because when Clint talks about the informant... Um, it seems to imply that he never really talked to the informant directly, but that the informant told Kingpin, then Kingpin told Clint as Ronan to do the hit. And so it seems like they never interact with each other. So from the first episode, it still wouldn't make sense why Kazi was going after it still. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, so it's just, I feel like the more you shine a light on this watch the more it just starts to melt and it's just like, this doesn't make any sense. I was just really disappointed because it's like, I I think the only reason why they introduced this is just to say that Laura Barton was Mockingbird and that was pretty much it. It was really a plot device that really served no purpose other than that. Mm -hmm. So
0: yeah, yeah. no, I think that's fair. And, 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 it feels like it, I never thought about this until the way you just framed it, but if that is the only thing, then it almost just feels like its purpose was to to do away with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. canon, which I've talked about it before, I'm fine with if there's a, a reason for it, but I never thought about right. like, okay, this is almost kind of spiteful now that there wasn't an actual reason for it.
3: <laughs>
1: I know. Well, and you know what's funny is that that debate will never go away. And and for me, like whether it's canon or not, I still enjoy them. Yeah. for what they mm-hmm. are, and so like it never bothers me like if they're actually canon. But there are people out there who are very adamant: no, it's not canon, or yes, it mm-hmm. is canon. And I feel like it doesn't really resolve it. I think they're just adding fuel to the fire. (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I I think that's exactly what it is. It's like, let's know this and and just watch chaos ensue with the Marvel Cinematic Universe fandom, right?
0: (laughs) They've had it too good for too long. Let's (laughs) add a little fuel to the fire. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Let's see what they come up with next. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, That's fantastic. Well, yeah, you know, I think that's a pretty good summation of some of the disappointments we had with Hawkeye. I think as you can tell, significantly shorter than our our things we enjoyed so pretty safe to say that this is one of the better uh, Disney Plus series, but That's going to move us into our next section, which is lingering questions that we have for the series or some of the extraneous potential series as well. So, starting with me this time, I think one of the lingering things on my mind is wondering what will Kate do now that she doesn't really have anywhere to call home? Uh, She... You know, it, it starts off with her coming back to New York and, and just having her own apartment that her mom was paying for. But now that she, or I should say, now that her mom has been arrested, is she going to be staying with the Bartons or will she be <laughs> doing her own thing?
1: I actually have a theory about that, Trey, if you let me uh, go for it. Uh, kind oh, yeah. of, you know, ramble on about that. But um, knowing the comics with Hawkeye and, and Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. I think that if they were to do a season 2, which I really hope, like it kind of concerns me they haven't confirmed it yet, even though they said, you know, season finale, the fact that Loki and what if has had like a, you know, season 2 is coming out, we haven't heard anything yet. Like I'm really concerned about that. But if they were to do a season 2, I think what we might do or what we might see is Kate Bishop might actually become a private investigator in LA because that's actually what she does mm-hmm. in the comics mm-hmm. when she's not teaming up with Clint. And I think the series here has actually did a great job of kind of showing Kate being a detective already because he's figuring out things along the way very quickly. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of, like, I think there was one scene where she was like taking notes uh, about the tracksuit bros and and even like did drawings and everything. And, and Clint oh, yeah. was making fun of her drawings. But I think that was kind of like a little throwback to the fact that, you know, she is uh, good enough to be a private eye. And so I would not be surprised if they show her being in L.A., Trying to be a private investigator. And I think what would be really cool is if they bring Clint back again, um, you know, more than just a random cameo, but to tie their stories in again, is that we might see Clint run into his brother, Barney, who's also trained just like Clint. So he's almost like Clint's equal mm-hmm. in that regard. And Barney becomes a villain that they're fighting, and so he has to get Kate to help out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So that's that is where I would like to see season two if they do that. Um, but that's what they do in the comics is that she's actually a private investigator out in L.A. Mm-hmm. So,
0: dude, if season two is the reverse and which Clint needs Kate's help, yeah, that right? is just a rich prompt for a series. I love love that idea, man. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, because because it's it's a good. Um, way to show that they're on equal footing and that they're truly partners in that way, right? Great. Is that Kate needed his help in season one and now it's it's the reverse in season two. I think it'd be a great way to demonstrate oh, yeah. that. So no that is, that's that's yeah.
2: fantastic. Um and a great way to answer that like I said the what's what happens next for Kate um as a lingering question. And I think, you know, hey marvel hit us up we're (laughs) we're we're ready to we're ready to start developing season two for you yep so what about you sean do you
0: have any lingering questions uh on the series
1: uh so i gotta say there are some questions and they're a little bit more i'll say a little bit more silly and comical um the first one is are the shrunken bros and (laughs) that's going to be okay (laughs) Like, are we ever going to get a follow up to see like what actually happened to it? Because I thought maybe that would be the end credit scene for the series or for the season. And now we have no idea if like they're just hanging out with this owl now in that truck and they're just going to be tiny people for the rest of their lives. I I thought
2: I heard or read somewhere that that was a potential end credit.
3: Oh really? Uh, oh that man. would be great. But
2: but the realization of like they're just about to be eaten by birds, they they like <laughs> to cut it and decided no. I, I gotta s I need to look that up. I think that I think I read that somewhere. So yeah. Well, hey,
0: let's put it on the record now. Yes or no, do we see them cameo in Ant Man in Quantumania?
1: Sean? Oh, I would I would love I think that'd be a
2: great that would be call out that they do
1: it. I, I think I would Yes. I'm, I'm going to go on the record and say, yes, I think they will make at least some, if they don't make a an appearance, there'll be some sort of call out about them. Like maybe Scott's saying like, yeah, I think Clint told me about like these three guys are shrunken down. I need to figure out what to do or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. if they don't appear, I think maybe a shout out at least.
2: Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jude, yes or no? Uh, yes. I'm going with at least, with same with Sean, with at least a shout out. Uh, that's, it's too good. It's too funny. Mm-hmm. I'll,
0: and to go out there, yes, I'll put myself on the record, and I'm going to go one step further. That'll be the cold open to that somehow they're, like, in dire straits and Scott Lang has to come in and save them.
1: Oh, that would be comical. Oh, I would love that. If, if that happens, I'm going to hit you up, Troy, and I will, like, buy you dinner or Oh wow! Because like I'm like, if you, if you hit it on the nail like that, because that's a bold guess, if you hit it on the nail like that, that is amazing. So yes, I will send you a ten dollar gift card to McDonald's. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Be sure it. Sure to use the app on, on the app <laughs> on the app. Hey,
0: listen, Kevin Feige super fan. He's listening. Yes. He knows. Yes, he knows. <laughs>
1: oh, no. um, the the other comical thing or question I have is, I, I, I've been saying this on. A couple of episodes on our podcast, and and I'm curious to see what you guys think about this. But in the series, we have Armand Duquesne the third and Armand Duquesne the seventh both living at the same time. And I did the math, and Armand Duquesne would be the seventh's great 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 grandfather, it's either great great or great 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 grandfather. And I just thought that is really weird. It's like no one else bothered by that fact that there's this huge generational. Because that means that like Armando Cain and all of his subsequential sons, like had children at a very early age in order for him to be at that age and to have a seventh running around there, right?
0: Well, listen, like next year, we're going to get the Disney Plus show, Days of Armand, to to figure out (laughs) what that story is. That's
2: that's definitely a soap opera waiting to happen.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, man.
2: (laughs) So I liked that character, too. Just, I don't know, just the way he carried himself. Um, Mm -hmm. The
1: third or the seventh?
2: Both, actually. Just that <laughs> just that well uptight, snooty.
0: yeah. If anything, the seventh was carried by
3: grills.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: You know what? I, I want you to say it. I'm gonna jump in and say one of my lingering questions is are we gonna get to see the LARPers again? And in particular grills. because uh, I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed Uh, that aspect of the show, but that character uh, grills in particular. Is this something that we have to wait for a season two? Is he going to be, you know, something that somebody that shows up a little bit more, almost this Kate Bishop's man in the chair, so to speak, (laughs) you know, that, that we see kind of show up over and over again and other things. Yeah. So like, that's one for me, uh, as far as lingering questions, and for as big a security firm as we're led to believe that the the bishops had, what happens now mm-hmm. to that um because because I feel like there's an opportunity where like Kingpin can slide it and take that over or does like she, she does that go to Kate' like you, you know what you know is this kind of her in so now I'm super rich and don't have to have a job, right. you know like like I'm really curious what happens right. in that company,
0: yeah what if this is a way for aim to take oh. a place mm. and yeah and the remnants of bishop security
2: right do we bring that back in is, is aim still um, around
1: because they were in iron man 3 yeah
2: they were that in was iron the man last man three. we heard of them i think yeah you know what if if between the two and and i say between the two um, and I realized there's no context for the second one uh, I, w- I would
0: <laughs> Schrodinger's two if you will I
2: I prefer the second option and, and the second option is Hammer like I'd rather between oh. between AIM and Hammer industry you know I'd rather have a Hammer and Sam Rockwell back yeah but yeah he, the AIM mm-hmm. was in Iron Man 3 well
1: Hammer was in jail at that point right
2: uh yeah. yes i think yes. the last time we saw him he was, he in, was the in the shot, one shot yes key right? exactly. yeah yeah so yeah
1: but yeah yeah and, and, and you know not to trail off uh too much but i mean that's that was another thing about kate's character that i thought was interesting that they didn't really go anywhere with is that kate almost had that snobby attitude because when she's at security at bishop securities and she's walking in she just drops her coat and backpack at the front desk. And like Not even on the desk, it's on the floor and just expect somebody's to mm-hmm. take it up for her, right? And and so I thought it was interesting that they wrote mm-hmm. that and yeah. I wasn't quite sure why they did that and I thought they were going to do something with it but I don't know. Maybe it was just kind of a quirky thing that they had in there but in, in regard to the LARPers, it, is there a, if I take a minute to kind of talk about that translation from the comics yeah, to it. who they are in the show is that in the comics, they weren't LARPers. In, in the whole context of... That comics to kind of give it in a nutshell is that this is a very di- different Clint Barton than what we're seeing in the comic run that I mentioned earlier. Clint Barton's actually a bachelor. We actually see in the comic run that he um, ends up sleeping with a woman like during the the run. And um, and and Trey, I I apologize because I know you said PG thirteen. I don't know if that falls under PG 13 or not. So oh, oh, that's, <laughs> yeah,
2: that's fine. You're good.
0: Okay.
1: okay Listen, good.
0: <laughs> Iron Man one has this pretty much covered on that. Front. right? Yes, <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, he, he sleeps with the woman in that run. Um, he's like divorced and all that, but he's, he's definitely a bachelor in that. So it's a different kind of Clinton Barton. He doesn't have a family that he's trying to get back to in here. Right.
3: Mm-hmm, but right.
1: in that comic run, he actually lives in a apartment building in New York city and had just acquired a lot of money from like, you know, working with the Avengers, that the tracksuit mafia was um, bullying the tenants. And so he ends up buying the building from them mm-hmm. in order to stop that from happening. And all the characters that you see are LARPers are actually tenants in the comic run. So Grills mm-hmm. is actually a very different kind of character. But I think what they did that was really genius is that, one, they make them LARPers because just like in the series, the at the end of the comics, all the tenants actually help Clint and Kate Fight off the tracksuit mafia by, you know, just taking up like baseball batch or whatever is around them and attacking them. And so I think that was a great way to use LARPers as a way to show that they can actually help Clinton Kate because they have some sort of. Fighting training through their LARPing experience, right. but I love the fact that they also made them all first responders as well too, because it made a lot more sense in the context of that show, mm-hmm. of that storyline, and it still kind of, in my opinion, holds true to the comic book run from where it's aspired from. So.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I have the Marvel Unlimited and I'm trying to go through those. But mm-hmm. when I say trying, like I haven't finished. I've started the that Hawkeye run. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I remember that, what you were saying about the, the buying the building and right. and ultimately just having that Bachelor feel and like that's just what he does. He's an Avenger, mm-hmm. kind of. That's This is what I do. This is what I'm good at. So I'm going to go Avenge.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so what's funny is that there's a lot of inspiration from the comic run but there's also a lot of stark differences in the series as well too that makes it its own and it still works very well for how they did it and that's why I, again that's why this has been one of my favorite shows because of that so
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: i think the biggest question th- there's a lot of them like you know i i want to see if we're going to get kate and elena you know in another mm-hmm. series or like young avengers I want to know, you know, is are we going to see Clint again? But I, I think the the biggest thing, in addition to are we getting a season two, is that is this the same Kingpin as the one for the Netflix Daredevil series? And we already talked about that. Um, but I think this is going to be an argument until <laughs>
2: until it's definitive, <laughs>
1: right? Which will be like probably never because they do a really good job of confirming and denying in their statements at the same time. Like they just do a great job of doing that. They mm-hmm. really do. So.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it wasn't until I realized there's no real incentive just from a, a business standpoint mm-hmm. to de-incentivize people from watching a show. Right. Even if it's not Marvel Studios, it's still part of Marvel. Why would they say, oh, no, that's trash. Don't watch that. Yes. Right? Like, They're never <laughs> yeah. going to definitively say
1: it.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Well, cool. I, I think that's a good sample of some of the lingering questions that we have uh, for the series. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and switch gears here since we already teased it a little bit earlier in the episode. I'm I'm just very curious to know, Sean, if you had one takeaway from this show to have as a lesson for the other MCU shows, what would you like to see them adopt?
1: Um, You know, for me, it, it it's actually I think there's there's two. Um, I would like for them to still make shows like Hawkeye in the sense that, just like what you said, Trey, is it gives us a deeper dive into characters and stories, mm-hmm. um, especially with people who don't have superpower abilities. Because I think that's what's really cool about this show is that um, I think this was um, probably the only show that we've seen so far where we have people that weren't super powered.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, with the exception of, of Sam Wilson and, you know, Falcon the Winter Soldier, but you have Bucky, who's a super soldier in that regard. Right. Yeah. Um. But I love that. And, and the fact that it's, you know, it's street level type of a crime show that we get, that it's something that I think can live in its own little world that doesn't have to necessarily be impacting the MCU general, but kind of lives in that. And I think that's what made this show really well because it's really reminiscent of... Um, the Netflix series that was really successful mm-hmm. with Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all of them. And you know the the main difference is that it's not TVMA and it's not as dark as that, right? But I think the stories really hold up really well because of that. Um, and I think that I would like to see them still exploring the themes of the aftermath of people coming to grasp like what happened as a result of in-game. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna harp on it too much. Um, I, I think they'll probably have a couple shows on that, but I think exploring, you know having a movie or show that dives into, you know what happened as a result of like this major event from that character. because we saw that with Iron Man 3 uh, really well, I think, with you know with him having PTSD from what happened in New York. Um, but we haven't really seen a whole lot more to that same depth of what we have with Hawkeye, with the exception of WandaVision, who, you know, completely, you know, hold the town hostage and change reality for everybody. And so, um, so I think having those kinds of shows where they explore themes of, handling those things that happened to them as the aftermath of some sort of major event and kind of seeing that. Cause we, we don't see that with a lot of these superhero movies. And no. and the first time we really saw that was in Spider-Man homecoming where we saw that uh, the, the, the department of damage control came in and tried to clean up New York. But it's like every superhero movie before that, it's like when they just dis- completely destroyed a city, we don't talk about, you know, what happened after the fact. Right. And so, right. I think that's something that would be really cool for them to continue on is to still kind of do that more of a introspection, reflection type of thing as they're moving forward mm-hmm. with a plot of uh, that helps move the character forward as well, too.
0: Yeah, we we put out on social media, again, this very same question, and I just wanted to, to jump in here real quick before I throw back to you, Jude, that uh, this one comes in from Rob Logan on Twit, and it says... Personal stakes are just as, if not more, interesting than universal threats. It's time to explore more street-level stories, and I think that is definitely in line with everything you just said, Sean. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just real quick, I totally shortened Twitter to twit just to mess with Rob. <laughs> uh, but uh, go ahead, Jude. I, I interrupted you to to put that in there. No,
2: no, no. Go ahead. Um. Yeah, I just I I have that same feeling. Like like I feel that street level that first episode reminiscent of daredevil uh on netflix so i completely agree with that the direction though i think i want to go is i i want to see them continue to build on the creativity and what i mean by that is i up until hawkeye wandavision was my favorite mcu show because i just loved the concept of the the sitcom and recreating mm-hmm. the sitcoms because i remember growing up watching nick at night reruns and and just in mm-hmm. television and and the way they were able to wrap that in to wanda's life of the family around the tv watching the sitcom right is that's like what happened um it was you know a family event then here, the creativity of how they were able to portray the hearing loss, both with Clint, Maya, American Sign Language, and, and how they really were able to make me feel, get a glimpse or experience of, of what that is. That's the big thing for me there is like in those six episodes, there's an element of creativity that you can do that you can't do in a movie. Mm-hmm because they're that conceptual or things that I need to teach slowly the audience and how and what I'm doing and build up to to this. Um, and so that's that's something I really hope they can carry on with in these Disney Plus shows. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's always interesting or it makes it a far more interesting show when you have that level of creative vision mm-hmm. to really center the show on. And, and I think you illustrated beautifully what that was for WandaVision and how some of the uh, different glimpses into other experiences helped in Hawkeye and creating that, that um, deepening of the show.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, for me, it, it circles back to kind of your point as well, Sean, uh, I think you outlined everything about the street level threats Uh, of of Hawkeye that made it really interesting Mm
3: -hmm.
0: to go on that same token but on the flip side I I prefer that not prefer I enjoy that civilian level view as well Mm -hmm. Uh, I already mentioned how that inspired so much of what Kate turned out to be uh everything it gave us with the LARPers but even glimpses of to the way the population at large feels by having Thanos was right graffitied (laughs) on the toilet or the apartment with the mug that says Thanos was right as well to even having Rogers the musical or the way that the waiter uh was congratulating or not congratulating Clint but like thanking him for for what he had done at the Battle of New York Mm -hmm. um again as I said in the, the the positive section, for as much as we like to say the MCU has expanded, this show was about deepening it, and I think that's how you do it moving forward by giving more than just the perspective of the people we're dealing with within the stories they're telling.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say something you just said popped in my head, and it's the wrong section for it. Who is Kate Bishop's aunt? Another lingering question. Oh, yeah. I want to know.
3: Well,
0: it's the truest lingering question of all because it's out of the section. (laughs) But go
2: ahead, Sean.
1: (laughs) I I was going to say this. A lot of people like speculated it was going to be, um, oh, what's her name? It's it's screaming my mind now. Val? Yes. A lot of people were speculating it was going to be Val. and, And I actually could see that. But what's interesting is that there's an Easter egg in there that's a throwback to the comics where when you see Kate watching TV in the background, there's a movie poster. Mm -hmm. And I forget the name of the actress that's featured in that, but that's actually a character in um, the comics. And she's, I think, only in for one issue. And what's interesting is that She's in that one issue because um, she owns this like mansion or this estate and she's selling it and the Avengers are interested in buying it. So they send Clint and um, Bobby Morris, who was his wife at the time, mm-hmm. to go and, and talk to her about buying it. And then I think Trickshot or, or somebody like that came in um, and was trying to kill the Avengers. And then she actually, that actress actually tried to save them and she ends up dying for it. And it, and it, what's funny is when you read the description of this character, uh, they said that, you know, right before she died, Clint made her an honorary adventure. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine like as someone's dying, like, you know, there's just like at the last breath and you're like, I you know I knight you an avenger like I would be like up uh-huh. well, that that means
3: nothing now you
1: know <laughs> sorry I just said F that I apologize but,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: you know listen I too yeah. would like to forget that
3: right? <laughs> yeah
1: but but I, I thought I think it's really interesting like how they put that easter egg in there but yeah I think it's fascinating how that's her aunt's apartment and you think that there would be more to it. Maybe there will be it later, but I, I think they left it ambiguous enough. So that way people have fun with the theories, but they don't have to answer the question. I think that's, what's a lot of fun about doing something like that is you can like let people's imagination run wild. And you never mm-hmm. have to confirm it, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for the extra lingering question there, <laughs> but you know, I, I think we're getting pretty close to wrapping this up. So I, I want to end this with this question, and and we can start with you, Jude. What was your favorite episode
2: of the season? Oh man, I'm gonna have to go. <laughs> all of the? No, uh, no. You like... wasted that trick last week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like no. It's just it's a tough it's a tough question because because like episode three is so good with the action sequences uh, and the interrogation. But I'm I'm gonna have to go. You know, as much as I, the the one I kept going back to was with um, Elena and Kate, and that in that conversation they had. And so it's that what was it, episode five? Five. Yep. Yeah, five. Where I just went and rewatched that scene, and rewatched that scene, and rewatched that scene. So yeah, episode five, I think, was my favorite.
0: Yeah, it's as as much as you have quoted that scene, I couldn't imagine any other episode taking that top spot. Mm
1: well I, I will say actually to what you said Jude episode three is my favorite episode of all of them and um, you know that's entitled echoes and it's written by Kate Matthewson mm-hmm. and Tanner Bean and directed by Burton birdie and I just absolutely love it because I think it was just a masterpiece of an episode because just like what mm-hmm. you said it had a great action scene mm-hmm. great writing with you know introducing Maya in, oh, and yeah. in introducing her as a person in the first 10 minutes like fantastic because you were able to kind of set up who she is growing up and what her backstory is and then be able to just go right into into the show with that and you had a sense of who that character is mm-hmm. the action was great the selection of music the Christmas music that they played underneath it with the so uh, song for the, yeah, with, yeah, from the so Nutcracker and, and the pacing of it like just matched with the music so well like they just did a fantastic job with the action sequence that you know that heartbreaking scene when Clint and Kate and now Nat t- or uh, Nate is all talking. Um, and, you know, Nate is just saying to him, you know, if you can't make it to Christmas, it's okay. And, you know, Clint's having that breakdown and, you know, and as a father, like I, anytime there's a kid involved, you immediately think about your kid. And I will tell you this, mm-hmm. I cried when I first saw that. And I continue to cry every time I watch that scene, because it was just that, it was that moving of a scene and I think it was just sort of a fantastic job. So that one will always be my number one episode of not just this series, but of all the projects that they've had of all the Marvel shows on Disney plus.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I'm so glad that I am following you on this one because you have made my job a lot easier <laughs> 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 because for almost all the reasons you have stated episode three is my favorite of the series as well. And I even said it when that episode came out that Episode three of Hawkeye is not just the best episode of the series so far. It is among the best of all the Disney Plus shows mm-hmm. so far. <laughs> and I full-heartedly believe that. And and there's two things to add on to what you said. Because, uh, I mean, you echoed pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about. I'm a sucker for the story circle. And the fact that that episode begins with Kate and Clint captive and being at odds and not a cohesive partnership Mm -hmm. to the end where they're captive once more, but they have learned how to be a team. Like, the way that they get to that point within that episode is fantastic. And it even, it starts with the exiting the KB toy shop. Mm -hmm. It speaks so much. There's so many ways they do this, but it speaks so much to who they are as characters that as they're looking for a getaway car, Kate gets so excited about the Chargers. Like, hey, we could take this. And then it pans over to Clint, who is in the more realistic, like, no, let's take this. We're going to beat it up. (laughs) So you have, on just a pure action level, the difference between the expectations of Kate and the reality of Clint. And they just continuously that throughout the action sequences through the kate translating for clint and and with his son to the conversation the diner of what kate thinks being a superhero is versus what it actually is it is a beautiful episode Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah the, the the writers just did a fantastic job with that episode like i just i cannot say enough you know great things about the writing on that so it's just it's i agree completely
0: fantastic i i gotta say this i i This went longer than I anticipated, (laughs) but so worth it because I I enjoyed it.
1: Oh, this was
2: a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. I and I'll be honest. I know it's because of me because I will go on no, and no. on about <laughs> this series. No, no, it's okay. Don't be modest. I know it's me. It, it's that's what it is. That's the reality of it. You know, tra- to to give you an example, when I did the little media reviews of like each episode of Hawkeye, I initially said like it was going to be 15 minutes. I don't think any of them ran shorter than 45. You know, it's it's all me. So, but. Thank you for having me on here. I had a lot of fun and I had a blast talking to you all about Hawkeye. I will talk about Hawkeye with anyone at any time, no matter what. And this was just a blast to uh, see what you all thought of it and have those conversations I've been wanting to have. And so this was just great. Thank you very much.
2: Oh, thank you for, for joining us. Like I said, this and it, it's fun getting to nerd out. That's, that's the other thing. We talked about yes. the podcasting. It's fun just to like, you have this, but there's moments like you just, oh, you forget that this and you just talk and so yeah Mm -hmm. it's totally cool
0: like Mm -hmm. love it yeah oh yeah thank you so much and and it doesn't need to be said but the invitation is always open whenever you want to come back on the show let's do it yep that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) yeah and of course if you're listening and you want to hear more of sean's work you can find them at the sean hulk on twitter And you can find his podcast at Caption Life, both on Twitter and Instagram. And while you're at it, make sure that you're subscribed to the Caption Life podcast on pretty much every podcast platform uh, around.
3: Yeah.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: As far as our show goes, if you want to get in touch with us and answer some of the questions that we had within this wrap up episode, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MCU Need to Know. We've been doing a lot more work to put out some of the questions we have in these outlines so that we can pepper those into the show while we record. So if you want to be part of that and helping shape the show, make sure you're following us there and get in on that conversation.
2: Yeah. And of course, always scroll down to the bottom of the show notes, click on the discord link where you can join us and a wide range of people to talk about marvel tick tick boom up <laughs> here recently we everybody <laughs> just saw and loves post pictures of your pets food all kinds of stuff please join us there and the best some of the best things you can do for us leave a rating and review apple podcast spotify and share with a friend yeah We'd
0: also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Sean and Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Sean.
1: Thank you both. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah.
0: We'll see you all next week. Did you not get it? -mm. Let me double check.
1: You're not cool enough, man.
0: (laughs) I'm not, not, man. As much as I'd like to join in on that teasing, I have a history of forgetting to send the outline to Jude.
2: (laughs) This is not the first time. So what will end up happening is is he'll like work on the outline, and then he'll screenshot Mm -hmm. it to me in a text. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll look at it and, and he's like, so what do you think? And I was looking at like, okay, yeah, that's great. You know, but then like it doesn't come across in the email. And so mm-hmm. I, was like, uh, I was like, oh, okay.
1: That's interesting. <laughs> do you guys use like Gmail for your email or? Yeah.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So gotcha. I'll,
0: so I have uh, my own personal Gmail that I use. That's where I'll create the outline and then I'll mm-hmm. share it to the MCU email. EMC, MC you need to know email so Jude can have access to it without clogging his personal one. Right. And yeah. But also Jude, it you are you do have permission for it. So I don't know why you're not seeing yeah, it. Yeah, I don't
2: know why. Like I, I I have no idea. Like what's going on. Um, I got it now. I just I don't know what was what's going on. <laughs> I... sounds... Even
1: Google doesn't think you're cool enough <laughs>
2: man. <laughs> I'll tell you what <laughs> I, I and you will you will know this as as teaching High schoolers, I've learned that I'm okay not being cool. Like, yeah, like, like I'm unbelievably comfortable with it. <laughs> I'm unbelievably
0: comfortable with being uncool is the greatest sentence I think anybody has ever spoken. <laughs>